Born in North Carolina, based in Bellingham, Washington, broadcast on WHUPLP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged In your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the wait is up Fight, If you've done a grappling martial art for long enough, you've probably struggled with a skin infection of some type or another. And if you haven't, you lucky person you, you definitely know someone who has. Whether it's staph or MRSA, whether it's impetigo or ringworm, we've all seen the consequences of fungal and bacterial infections on the mats involving preventing people from training, or even worse, having lasting health consequences. Well, Dr. Azam Anwar has thought deeply about this. A medical doctor and a medical device inventor, he's spent some time after his own skin infection thinking about the best ways to keep people training and to keep people healthy and safe. We talked for about an hour where he answered dozens of listener questions, ranging from what the single most important thing people to know about preventing skin infections while grappling is, to how bad it is to wait just a few hours before showering after training, what he thinks of the shower replacement wipes, what kind of stuff you should look for in soaps and other products on the market, and what gym owners can do to create an environment that's healthy, that's safe, and that's free from skin infections. I learned a lot from this interview, and a lot of it is going to go right into my training regimen, so I'd like to thank Dr. Anwar for his time. But before you hear the show, I want to tell you how to get a hold of us. You can always email me at jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or on Instagram at dirtywhitebelt, where we're very active. We always appreciate listeners to the show, and without further ado, here's an important interview with Dr. Azam Anwar. Bellingham, Washington is amazing. I'm so excited to be living here. But one of the things I miss most about North Carolina is U.S. Grappling. U.S. Grappling regularly runs the best jiu-jitsu tournaments around. And I really miss the people, the well-trained referees, the well-run events, and the helpful staff. Fortunately, if you're anywhere in the American Southeast, there are a lot of upcoming events that you can compete at. Let's start with September 29th in Virginia Beach, Virginia. This is a submission-only tournament, true sub-only. No points, no time limits, no excuses. In Greensboro, North Carolina, in October 27th, there'll be another submission-only tournament. You can register early for that one at usgrappling.com and save yourself a few bucks. U.S. Grappling is the best tournament organization I've ever been around, and I miss it a lot up here in the Northwest. So, you guys, you gotta let me live vicariously through you. Go to usgrappling.com and register today. So Dr. Anwar, thanks a lot for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you, Jeff. Excited. Yeah, we had a lot of user-submitted questions. Grapplers are really concerned with the best ways to prevent common skin infections when they're doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or whatever grappling art they practice. And I understand that you have quite a bit of experience with this. Well, we have uh, experience on the dermatology side. And um, I actually suffered a skin infection related to MRSA or methicillin-resistant staph myself and became interested in the field. So I'm not a dermatologist. I'm a cardiologist and a medical device inventor. And uh, about 10 years ago, you know, I was in a very busy clinical practice and um, developed this minor little dry spot on my shin uh, scratched that a little bit, and then from there it got infected either from the hospital or from the gym. Went to my dermatologist. This thing was removing, you know, quite rapidly from the size of a grain to the size of a, you know, silver dollar within a matter of a week. And cultured it and got antibiotics and um, orally and topically. And then um, I used chlorhexidine washes or that a pink soap called Hibiclens. You're Probably a lot of people are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was very drying, and I couldn't really tolerate that. Uh, at the same time, it must be I also had um, these little bumps called folliculitis or razor bumps on my arms. And then he recommended uh, something odd called a bleach bath or a Clorox bath. And 
you know, I'd been exposed to bleach and all that uh, in medical school, so it had been a number of years since I'd really even thought about it. But uh, the way dermatologists and infectious disease doctors use uh, a bleach bath or Clorox bath or a medicated bath, they've got various names, you put a quarter cup of Clorox, your Clorox that you wash your bath with or bleach, your, sh- your, your clothes with, and put it in a half a tub of water. So you basically dilute the bleach 1,000-fold. Um, you know, bleach is a poison if you drink it, rots your esophagus. If you dilute it 100-fold, it's a very good surface cleaner. Probably a lot of the mats are being cleaned with the bleach. And if you dilute it 1,000-fold, uh, it's antimicrobial and even anti-inflammatory and safe on children and often used in children with very severe eczema and staph colonization, meaning the staph's on their skin. So, um, and, and, you know, the science and research behind that is really quite good. But on the flip side, you know, it's cumbersome to use. You've got to get in a tub and, you know, sit in there for 10 minutes and then rinse off. And you can imagine for somebody elderly or a mother taking care of a child, uh, it could be quite onerous. So based on that experience, um, I went ahead and invented Clean, CLN. Um, It's a gel cleanser which will be used in the shower for a minute or two. You, you You get in there, you lather it on just like soap, and then you rinse it off. So it's a therapeutic cleanser that we then took the clinic, did a couple clinic studies with it, and found very good results with staph and eczema. And... Uh, and then the community around here in Dallas and other places started using our products for sports, which brings me you know, to your podcast. I think the take-home message there is that, you know, a lot of the gyms and places where we exercise, um, you know, they carry a lot of microbes, a lot of bacteria and, and other microbes. And so whenever you have a cut or scrape or whatever, you know, you just have to be really diligent. But, you know, it's very easy to get an infection uh, in that setting, in uh, jiu-jitsu, which uh, uh, I, I don't practice, I'm I'm really too far gone as far as my physical capabilities with too many injuries uh, in the past. Um, I noticed that uh, y- you get very intense sweating, heat, and rubbing of the skin. Uh, and as I talked to a number of people in the space, and then observed all all that goes on and talk to a number of people um, there's a huge number of um, you know infections there uh, as there is in, in, in wrestling you know so anytime there's you know skin to skin contact um, and whenever the skin is wet actually the skin tears easily um, and when the skin tears easily those microbes can really you know jump in there and cause some havoc yeah, people in jiu-jitsu are really concerned about this. And as someone who I personally have eczema really bad a lot of the time, and I've had staff a couple times, it's not a fun thing. It's not the kind of thing you want to have. And so I'm wondering, what, what do you think the single most important thing people need to know about preventing skin infections? Uh, what do you think the most important thing people need to know is that are concerned with not getting one of these things? The number one thing is to get in the shower within one hour of your training. Get in the shower within one hour of your training. And then number two, just really have dry clothing. Um, you know, wear your flip-flops, you know, nice cotton clothing uh, so that your skin can really, can really dry. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because we got a couple of follow-up questions from folks that one of whom asked, how bad is it to wait a few hours before showering after training? And also, I'd like to get your take on a lot of companies are marketing shower replacement wipes for people that don't have showers at their gym. What do you think about, like, how bad is it to delay? And if you can't do that best practice of showering within an hour, uh, what do you think of those shower replacement wipes as a stopgap measure? Yeah, very good question. So the staph bacteria gets on our skin, and initially it's pretty innocuous and very easy to knock off. Once you have that one staph bacteria, they try looking for other bacteria and they create um, these films, these biofilms. They, they send strands to each other and it creates a, a little bit of a, a community, essentially creating a wrapping or a saran wrap uh, 
on your skin, which holds all these staph bacteria together. So it's much harder at 12 hours, for instance, to remove the staph bacteria off the skin. And for any form of cleansing or even antibiotics, etc., to really remove them. You've got to understand that human beings are on this earth for the benefit of the microbes. And the microbes include bacteria, viruses, you know, herpes, etc. And they want to be on you. You know, we carry 10 pounds of that. So they have mechanisms to become more adherent to you. They have no other place to go. You got all the nice little nutrients and you got skin cracks and, and they just love being there. So it makes a huge difference from hour one to hour three. And the analogy that I would give you is just put uh, some ketchup in a bowl or a plate, wash it right away, very easy. You wait overnight, very hard to remove. Now on the wipes, uh, there have been studies done that if you just simply get in there and shower um, versus using wipes, the incidence of infection is much lower with showering. Um, I, I think the I think the wipes are useful if you don't have anything else. You just use wipes and then also just really get out of wet clothes. I mean that's really the other thing, and then have you know a gi or equipment that you're not you know reusing and it's really sweaty and dirty and so on because these bacteria can really live on d- dirty clothes as well. Um, so at least if you can't shower, expose the skin to so you know so that it gets dry, uh, and then. For people like you, you mentioned something earlier about your eczema, and whenever you're ready, I'd like to talk about eczema and skin infections in the population. So whenever it's appropriate. Let's let's transition right there because I know that, you know, as someone who's suffered with, from this for many years, that when you get your skin broken, uh, then the secondary infections become – my understanding is anyway that that makes you more susceptible to secondary infections. So by all means, let's talk about eczema. Absolutely. So I've met uh, you know a number of wrestlers actually who have have it, had eczema, and I, when I shake hands with them, you know I can tell from their hand that they've got they've had eczema in the past, and for whatever reason that they have eczema, you know allergies, etc., immunity, genetics, etc., their skin is dry and prone to cracking. So, and when someone with eczema wrestles. I think they're going to be at more risk of an infection because their skin's already brittle and then they're putting themselves through uh, skin through a lot more. Um, and the staph bacteria love to jump into the cracks in patients uh, who have eczema, cracks of their skin. And we know that staph bacteria really drives their eczema symptoms. Um, so there's a correlation between eczema and staph bacteria and when you add the grappling on top of that and go into environments that have a lot of bacteria in it, I think your eczema could really uh, flare. So for someone like you, you need to have a, a cleanser that's really gentle, and that's where really our product comes in because we went in the eczema population did two clinical studies where they washed with our product and we found... Um, improvement of their skin, you know, lower staff counts, less steroid usage, better quality of life. And that's where we cut our teeth really with our product with clean is in the eczema population. And, you know, 10 to 15% of kids under the age of 15 now have eczema and you've got a lot of, a lot of young kids, um, you know, grappling and wrestling. So there's probably a large community that has eczema that's, uh, you know, could use some extra help. Yeah, most definitely. In fact, we got a user-submitted question, um, and I want to get back to your product in a second because I'd like to talk about the what makes it effective, the science behind it, and a distinction from other more common soaps. But but um, one of our user questions was, uh, a friend of mine actually has eczema, and through that eczema, he got the herpes simplex 1 in, on his skin, and he's considering quitting grappling, not even necessarily because of the the problems that he is so, that he has with his own health, but because he doesn't feel like it's fair to his training partners. And so I'm wondering, is there a way that you can train with these sort of things and either train safely and know you're not going to communicate that to your friends, or are there best practices, uh, you know, not just so you can avoid skin infections yourself, but that you can avoid uh, infecting your training partners? That's a, that's a terrific uh, question. I mean, first of all, um, you know, if you, if you have an outbreak, um, then 
even without an even without an outbreak within within a few days of an outbreak on either side, you could be infectious. So, but I think once your skin is really, let's say after an outbreak, it's clear for a few days, then you're not really going to be infectious, and everybody has to, you know, adopt uh, really good hygiene. Um, you know, if it's okay with you, I would like to bounce that question off some of my dermatology colleagues to see how they deal with that. But I, I really think that he could work around it. But if you're in jiu-jitsu, you ought to assume that there's a lot of these bacteria all over the place anyway. Um, you know, we're we're carrying it, and some of the people just, you know, just flare. Um, so I would think that he doesn't need to get out of it. I, obviously, if he's had a recent flare, I would, you know, refrain. But I don't think this would be the reason not to, you know, not not to do this because, you know, everybody's kind of shedding the herpes simplex, you know, all the time. It's everywhere. So that's why having any cuts and hygiene and all that are so critical. You know, you have to defend yourself at all times. Along the same lines, you mentioned earlier that you recommended some cotton clothing. Uh, stuff that'll help you dry out a- after after you get yourself all wet. One of the crusades that I'm on a lot is jujitsu people are usually usually really good about washing their gi, the uniform we use while grappling. But a lot of people are not as good about washing their belt that ties the gi. And so I'm curious if you have a take on, uh, and without trying to prejudice you at all, I'm curious if you have a take on how often or if it's necessary to wash the belt that ties the gi together because uh, it's also made of cotton usually or hemp. Yeah, I would I would think so because your you know your hands are there. Your hands are really a lethal weapon uh, <laughs> with with infections because we transfer infections all over our body into other people uh, most often with our hands, and we're touching our face you know one to two thousand times a day, and your hands are always on your belt or tying it and loosening it and so on. So I would think that would be uh, one of the very more important areas to. Uh, you know, to wash. And one of the things you could do is just, you know, kind of, uh, you know, have a sink or someplace where you can just soak um, uh, in some diluted bleach, you know, and, uh, for, for a few minutes. And I think that would be uh, really helpful. <clears throat> you know, just have a little routine. I do that with, you know, I walk a lot and play golf and so on. And I just do that with my golf caps. You know, I've got a sink and just throw it in there and throw a few of them and and uh, and there are a lot of people who will get recurrent scalp infections because they're just wearing a dirty hat over and over it, you know. And it's kind of the same principle. But like, let, let's return briefly to to your product uh, because you know in grappling we hear a lot of stuff about things like tea tree oil and other ingredients that are necessary. And there are also a lot of soaps that are marketed specifically for a jujitsu audience. And so I'm curious. Are those soaps uh, really way better than a bar of Dial or Dove or whatever? Um, is there a consensus on specific ingredients in a soap that you should have? Like, wh- and, and so I'm curious about how you formulated your product and said, oh, we really got to have this stuff in there. And as for sort of the other uh, soaps that are marketed to grapplers commonly, is tea tree oil uh, uh, and things like that, are, are there ingredients that are more scientifically valid in terms of preventing skin infections? What should folks be looking for in a product to clean themselves? What they should be looking for is a product that's not really going to be very rough on your skin because if you get a very rough product uh, and it cracks the skin and dries the skin, uh, then you're really defeating the purpose because you your best defense against infections are really an intact skin. Uh, so if your product is really damaging your skin or drying it, and, and this is one of the problems with... Uh, you know, alcohol and alcohol wipes and alcohol gels, it's it's great at killing the, you know, the bacteria or the other microbes, but it really, really dries you out and then your hand cracks and then it's more prone to infections later. So it'll be a conduit to really transfer infections because it has all those cracks. So you, you want something really, you know, really, really gentle. Um, the other thing with with soaps and and just you know prevention you probably can use almost any you know any soap the key is to really get in the shower within that first first hour that i you know that i talked about um 
I do think that when you have a uh, a crack in your skin or you have some acne or folliculitis, which a lot of grapplers get, uh, and the unfortunate thing is we don't really see all the cracks in our skin. Uh, I mean, you, you you may look perfectly fine, but there are little micro cracks and these bacteria can find those um, you know those cracks. So get in the shower early, use something gentle. Uh, now, as far as these other products, um, I'm not sure about the you know clinical studies that they've done with them. You know, theoretically, they could they could be antibacterial and so on. But it, but some of them are really really quite uh, drying. As far as dial soap, the ingredient there, triclosan, which is an antibiotic, is actually been um, is being taken off the market. So you shouldn't really be using uh, products that have triclosan in it. It's uh, it's been around since the seventies. The FDA just made a determination uh, that it causes hormonal imbalances and so on. So that's you know kind of the background of of the currently available uh, products. The other is I wouldn't use a bar of soap because the bar of soap uh, is inherently dirty, and there have been studies where you can take a culture of it and you can grow bacteria off a bar of soap. So I think. Um, the other is you should have your own bottle of product or your own bottle of uh, cleanser that you're carrying because the community ones, you could imagine in the shower when they, when they open the, the lid, you know, they have to refill it and so on. So, you know, a lot of things can be, uh, can be introduced. Uh, so that's kind of a general background and I don't want to really uh, say anything more about, you know, the other products or competitive products and so on. I can tell you about our product. We, we noticed that the sodium hypochlorite, which is a component of bleach, is very clinically effective. It has multiple mechanisms of killing bacteria and, and, uh, and fungi and so on. And uh, after uh, I developed the product, I took it in the lab and we showed that it, you know, it kills the acne bacteria, kills staph. Um, if you put it in a jar, kill pseudomonas and you know fungi and so on. So it has some properties that w- it will um, you know kill microbes. Now on the other hand, we also do a testing on the product so that it is safe on the skin. It doesn't cause an allergic reaction. It doesn't crack the skin. It doesn't damage the eye, etc. So you want something that has moderate activity against the microbes and bacteria, but you also want it to be safe on the skin. And we were able to prove that. Uh, in testing, um, and then we went on and actually uh, did a study on children who have the most sensitive skin with eczema. So these are kids that have really, really sensitive skin. They've, they, you know, they can't really tolerate very much. And we took those that have staph bacteria inside their lesions of eczema, and we got dramatic results in our first study, and then we repeated that study at Northwestern in Houston with uh, 50 patients. And again, their skin improved, the very sensitive skin improved, the staph bacteria levels went down, and uh, now it's kind of becoming a standard product for cleansing, or CLN is becoming a standard cleansing product in a lot of areas in dermatology, but we actually started with eczema and pediatric dermatology and staph. So that's kind of our... Um, you know our pedigree, and then when you step back and really look at um, what is really going on with the skin, it's you know it's a it's a surface, it's a protective surface. Uh, imagine like you know a very nice wooden table, a nice beautiful surface. On this surface, unbeknownst to us and unknown to us, there are like 150 different microbes and bacteria on that. Just living, uh, you know, happily, actually helping us, making vitamins and so on and so forth. So when that skin surface cracks, and it cracks more because when somebody's stretching it, you're grappling, it gets wet. Those ba- those bacteria and microbes can really kind of jump in there. So you want something that can go in and gently clean the surface without making the cracks worse. You know, kill some of the bacteria, have anti-inflammatory effects. And and then you wash it all off, and you go on your merry way, and you put on clean clothes. So that's you know essentially the background of our of our product, and uh, and we you know we kind of cut our teeth in the uh, 
wrestling community, and they found, you know, we, we had products in schools where they adopted usage throughout the team, and their incidence of skin infections really, really went down. And we're very keen to, you know, big a large, do a larger clinical study in grappling or wrestling, you know, a very high uh, uh, infection rate state um, or, you know, sport. You know, one out of three people are going to suffer an infection during season in wrestling. You know, they often they get ringworm, then the staff is second, and herpes is third. Um, and I imagine it's the same in jiu-jitsu um, if you expose the same population to it. I mean, you're kind of doing the same thing, maybe even yeah. more so. My understanding is that ringworm is a little bit different, maybe not in the prevention best practices, but in terms of like how it operates biologically. And so we did get a question actually about, uh, you mentioned how a diluted bleach solution can be really useful, but uh, is that also useful for, for ringworm as well? Or is, does ble- is bleach effective with ringworm? It sounds like your product is, but I'm curious, a lot of people uh, believe in the bleach the ringworm away theory. Yeah, I think, I think a, a very inexpensive um, you know, way to approach uh, you know, a lot of your... Uh, you know, a lot of the um, skin conditions is um, to do a diluted bleach bath. So a really inexpensive approach for your audience to deal with a lot of common problems is put a quarter cup of Clorox and half a tub of water and you, you know, sit in it for about 10 minutes um, you know, soak in it and and then rinse off with a shower, and that will have anti, you know, anti ringworm effect, anti staph, anti herpes. You know, it'll kill a lot of things, and it won't. It'll be a little bit drying to your skin, but you know, not you know, not too bad. You know, just just to kind of be clear about um, the various classifications, we can kind of go over that when you have a moment because I, because we talk about microbes and bacteria and it could be confusing and I would like to break that down for you a little bit more. Yeah, please. Let's talk about, you mentioned that the most common ones for grapplers or at least wrestlers are ringworm, staph, you know, MRSA variant of staph. We also hear about empatigo. And so, yeah, please break down the most common skin infections and uh, how they differ and how they don't differ. Sure. So just classification-wise, the skin infections are divided into really three types. The, the first type is bacterial. And uh, that's you know, often going to be uh, Staphylococcus aureus. And the bad kind that you've heard about is methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus or MRSA or MRSA. Um, and this can cause just basically a cellulitis, which is a, you know, indurated infection of the skin. Uh, it's below the surface, but it's not super deep. Okay. It's kind of a red hot spot. Uh, you know, generally doesn't have a, you know, uh, you know, a tip on it. Folliculitis is a localized infection of the hair shaft, and that can be bacterial as well could be staph or could be pseudomonas, um, you know, a lot of times related, related to shaving or being in hot tubs and so on. And um, impetigo is another type of bacterial infection. It's, you know, more diffuse, crusty, oozy, opened, uh, you know, it's around the face uh, a lot of times. And that could be, you know, a different type of bacteria, could be streptococci. And so cellulitis and folliculitis and empatigo, and then the worst kind is an abscess. It just kind of like it's deep and indurated and really hurting, and it's you know it's got a tip to it, and you know that has to really be dealt with. You know, a lot of times you need to have a surgical lancing of that. So those are the different types of bacterial uh, infections that can occur. The second type of skin infection is fungal, related to fungus, and that's uh, you know called uh, Tinea corporis uh, or tinea corporis gladiatorium, you know, gladiators getting tinea corpus. That's that's basically your your ringworm. Um, and then the third type of infection is viral. It could be molluscum, uh, molluscum contagiosum, uh, which is often seen in kids. Um, you know, these little bubble-like lesions all over. 
really, really contagious, but they eventually hard to treat, but it eventually goes away. And the other is herpes uh, gladiatorium, which is you know herpes on the skin. It's herpes uh, simplex type, uh, you know type you know type one. And uh, you know that's that's uh, you know those are the, the three different areas. But the bottom line is when it, when you're noticing something about your skin, um, you know if it's if it's changing. Uh, rapidly, it's probably bacterial, and that needs immediate attention. And there have been deaths, not scare, you know, related to MRSA, because this thing can move very, very quickly. Because MRSA is just a type of bacteria that eats away the tissue, either laterally or vertically, meaning it can get into bloodstream very, very quickly. So there are lots of case reports of you know young football players uh, that that die. Now the thing about MRSA you have to realize is we, when we go into training settings, the likelihood that you're just carrying MRSA on your skin is very, very high. So simple things that may happen to you in jiu-jitsu, you really need to pay attention because it could be one of these bad actors and you just really don't know. Uh, so I don't want to over-alarm you that every little cut and scrape has to be you know, you need to rush to the doctor, but I think if there's an immediate change, it's getting hot, painful spreading that needs attention it needs antibiotics it needs lancing you need to be away from the other people you need to get it covered you know wash it you know put a bandage on it etc this December, it's the first ever submission-only world championships by U.S. Grappling. Now, a lot of tournaments that you hear say submission-only are really submission-maybe, where you get a 10-minute time limit, you get a 20-minute time limit, maybe there's a tiebreaker. But if you really want a true outcome, you have to put two people on the mat, and it only ends when one of them gives up. So that's why U.S. Grappling is running December 1st, the sub-only world championships. If you're a jiu-jitsu competitor that has never tested yourself in this way, trust me, it's an amazing experience that you won't forget. And U.S. Grappling is the best run tournament around. You can register online at usgrappling.com. Do it early to save yourself a few bucks. I think that's great advice. And as someone that has had two staph infections, I'm curious. I think the best you gave the best possible advice, which is you start to notice a change because that's what what I, my last staph infection. What happened was I thought I'd banged my shin on somebody else's shin, and then about an hour later it was starting to get warm, and I was like, "Yeah, let's go to the doctor," um, which turned out to be a great decision. And I remember them telling me, you know, they knocked it down with antibiotics, and uh, but they told me that. If I had left it untreated, it was common staph, but could have developed into a MRSA infection. Now, I may be remembering that wrong, but um, I'm, I would like you to check me on that. Is that a kind of thing where, like, if I'm inattentive to a smaller infection, can it develop into a, 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 a an infection that then resists common treatments? Uh, yes. I mean, in, in general, you're, you're absolutely correct. So if, if you're getting an infection in your skin, there is a type of bacteria, there is a class of bacteria that's already in there and causing the infection. So it's not going to really change its, its species, so to speak. You know, I mean, you've got that bacteria that's causing an infection. Now your body's going to fight it. You know, your washing and all that will help it and so on. But if it's moving along and getting deeper, no amount of washing or things that you can do on your own is really going to help it. You, depending on the rapidity of where this thing is moving um, and where it's moving to, you may need oral or topical antibiotics, you know, or topical antibiotics, oral antibiotics, or IV antibiotics. And that's just a determination you need to let the doctor make. Uh, but it, But the sign that it is changing rapidly means that you have to deal with it. And and they may just say, you know what, I, that doesn't look so bad, come back in 12 hours or call me to do this. That's fine too, you know, but you're at least under surveillance. Um, if you let it go too far, this these things multiply rapidly. 
you know, they go from one or two or 50 colonies to thousands or millions of colonies, and the army really, really grows. Remember, we're here for the benefit of these microbes. So once they get in there in your body, they know how to multiply. Um, so um, you're right to go in and deal with it. I don't know if they would change from one type of staff and turn into MRSA. Well, you know, MRSA is a type of staff. It is just a particular type of staff that has the machinery to become resistant to a lot of the common antibiotics, which is penicillin or methicillin. So it's, you know, MRSA and staph are kind of like, you're saying it's the same thing. You know, it's like you're saying, uh, you know, something is uh, a Jeep, right? And then it's a two-door Jeep or a four-door Jeep, you know? Uh, but they're both Jeeps. And let's say the two-door is worse than the four-door or something like that. Um, it's... Uh, it's just, you know, uh, semantics that could be really confusing. Mm-hmm. I have one more question about individual, or one or two more questions about individual best practices. And then I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about what jujitsu gyms and gym owners can do. So uh, in terms of as an individual, if I have a ringworm and I get an over-the-counter medication, how quickly does that prevent transmission? Or like how safe am I to train once I start taking the over-counter medications, like how, how long should a person wait before getting back on the mat? Yeah, so as far as ringworm, you know, tinea corporis, um, you know, it's called, uh, you know, we, 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 we call it, uh, it's caused by trichophyton. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, really um, spread generally from human to human. So we're highly infectious as a human being, less so from the mats. Okay, and you know tremendous amount of breakouts, and you can also take it, you know, take it home. Um, you know what you do with that is <clears throat> you have to have uh, you know you know proper hygiene, obviously washing of the mats. You get a uh, you would use an antifungal cream or a, a single body you know for single body lesions. You know you can buy those um, you know things over the counter. Uh, if you have, um, you know, multiple lesions, like in the scalp and face and multiple areas, you may have to, um, you know, get an oral medication for that and go to your, you know, friendly doctor, uh, you know, dermatologist to, to give you that. So, <clears throat> you know, the oral and topical treatment uh, generally for ringworm is for about, um, you know, three days for skin lesions. But if it's on the scalp, it's going to be longer. It's going to be like you know, 14 days. Uh, and you know, on the scalp, you can use like a Nizoril, uh, you know, shampoo, which is over the counter. Um, so basically, if it's on your scalp, it's going to be around longer and just stay away longer. And then on the creams, there's you know, there are a number of those uh, around. You know, Lamisil and uh, Naftin is another one. Uh, but anyway, I would leave that to your docs to see, uh, you know, what they want to treat you with. And then uh, the, a lot of the derms that dermatologists that I deal with, they really like the oral medications, you know, the Lamisil or Diflucan. Uh, you know, Diflucan is kind of a favorite. It's 200 milligrams once a week for, you know, uh, for three weeks. You know, it's easy um, and, you know... Uh, but you've got a number of choices um, there. And then you apply the, the cream uh, until the rash is gone and then add another week to it. Makes sense. You know, last question about what individuals can do. Got an interesting question from a listener who asks, are there any dietary or supplement things that you can do to minimize your risk in terms of other, other than just observing good nutrition practices? Yeah, you know, this area is a, not as well um, studied, but the common, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to really say really three things. One, the surface should be should be dry. So I think a lot of the gyms, uh, they really do a good job of cleaning the surface with an antimicrobial cleanser, <clears throat> mopping it down, and then letting it dry. Uh, and I would really advocate the gyms. If I was a gym owner, I would have very big fans around so that you can dry things. 
And I also would have fans in the showers so that the shower floor is is dry. So getting rid of rid of wetness will, in my opinion, really really help. Because uh, these things like you know warm, gooey, wet environments, and I think the transmission will be a whole lot less. The other is you could do something exotic and have ultraviolet light. You know, like a lot of the operating rooms are now bringing in. Uh, for the area to be sort of treated after um, everybody's gone, you know, it kills the bacteria around. But you know that adds cost. They're robotic ultraviolet lights, so I think cleaning with a good surface, um, drying fans and ultraviolet light would be, you know, sort of the ways to go. But I think the onus is really on. You know, the gyms can do a lot of things. And obviously, if you're smelling something, you know, that's really a problem. Uh, you know, changing the laundry, the towels, uh, in the shower, not using a lot of different stuff. I wouldn't have, you know, a bunch of, you know, plastic uh, drapes, or I wouldn't have a lot of wood on the floor because the wood is very porous in the showers, and those can harbor, uh, you know, bacteria. But I think the best defense is just, you know, having, uh, you know, big old fans running there so that everything is just drying pretty quickly and and then um, you know as a participant as an athlete you need to just protect yourself and just get in the shower and wash that stuff off I mean these things if I told you uh, Jeff it just would you know there, there have been studies done you, you just look at simple gym equipment like treadmills and bicycles and so on I mean they're dirtier than the toilet lid you know, as far as the number of colonies, you know, by a factor of 10. Well, that's gross. But that's also some terrific advice, I think. I mean, a lot, I learned a lot about what some of the things that gyms can do. But I have a follow-up question because you mentioned the importance of dry surfaces and having some big fans to make sure things get dry. You, should, you know, some gyms mop the mats at the end of every class, like every hour and a half grappling session, and some gyms wait till the end of the day. Um, what would you recommend? Because I can see, based on your advice, a case for either, because obviously if you mop more often, it's going to be wetter, but then you're also killing, you know, you're using cleaning products. So what do you think is better, after every class or at the end of the day? I, I am not sure. To me, I think, um, you know, I would, I would think between classes, I mean, maybe not every after every class. I think it depends on, the level of wetness that you have there, um, you know, it also depends on the ventilation. Um, you know, um, it, it's if you know if if you've had a session and there's just a bunch of sweat down there, I wouldn't want to be down there. I mean, you're basically transmitting that from one person to the other, so the transmission from human to human is pretty incredible and I think sweat and heat and skin contact really have a lot to do with that so I'm sorry I'm not giving you a straight answer but I think you have to sort of use your judgment I personally would not you know get on something that's really super wet I just walk away for something that's super wet uh, but I don't know because I'm a germaphobe I've had an infection myself I don't know why but I'm just kind of like that I'm not you know I'm going to throw some towels in there and clean it up and you know maybe you know, instead of a mop, there should be, that's where the alcohol, you know, the, the wipes are really good. The Clorox wipe would be really good that you just kind of come in and, you know, wipe your area down yourself before you wrestle. That's probably what I would do. I'd be carrying one of those <laughs> containers of Clorox wipes. So I wouldn't ask this question if a world champion jujitsu practitioner hadn't asked it, but Kim Rice asks, what do you do if your contact lens pops out on the mat? How bad is it to put it on your tongue and then pop it back in? Oh, I think that's terrible uh, because, yeah, I think you're putting something really, really dirty back in with dirty hands back in. Yeah, no, I, I just think you should go to the side and have somebody else put a new one in for you. Um, and uh, I, I think there are just so many microbes in the environment that you're adding to your eyes um e yeah <laughs> not a good idea at all not a good idea at all 
So speaking of not good ideas, a lot of old school gyms that I know involved you'd you'd uh, att- uh, they one of the, some things that I know some old school gyms would do is you'd train your gi would be wet and you leave it out in the sun, figuring sunlight is the best disinfectant, which I think is more a metaphor than an actual scientific fact. So exactly how bad is that? I think that's good. At least it's getting dry. It's 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 it's. It's probably good. I mean, it's better than having it watered up in your trunk. So I think I think what you could do is there is if if you have your ghee and if you deal with it very early, I would think that if you had a big sink or a big tub or something, just you know, just kind of stick it in there, put a little uh, you know bleach, a little bit of uh, um, detergent, and just kind of agitate it and 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 run a little bit, and then. Just let it dry. The sooner you get stuff to the wash, the easier it is to remove it. I mean, time is your friend. Well, time is not your friend, but the earlier you can do it, the better. Um, that's why, you know, you see wrestlers, they don't really have a lot of infections. You know, they're always in the pool. There's some chlorine around. Um, you know, all that stuff gets washed off. They have other issues. They might have a, um, you know, pseudomonas infection of their hair follicles, folliculitis or something, but um, no, I think I think drying in the sun is is good. We got another question about clean clothes that don't smell clean, and I have actually a variant on this question because uh, the 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 questioner asked, "What about clean clothes that don't smell clean? Is there any way to get rid of that lingering smell in athletic wear?" But my spin on this would be, "Does that nasty smell mean you should get rid of that product?" Because is that smell trying to tell you something about? how your clothes are retaining things that are actually dangerous. So so I guess like if you have a stinky ghee or a stinky rash guard, something that you've washed but it still smells, uh, is that telling me something about like, hey, this, this garment is not something I should continue to train in? Yeah, probably. And I think or, you, or you're not washing it properly or the right time, the right you know setting. Um, I think uh, with that, you could also go back to individual washing you know, if you just wash your ghee alone, I, you know, you wouldn't want to wash your ghee with everybody else's stuff in it, you know, because you got bacteria and so on, you're passing it on to the family or, you know, I just wouldn't mix a lot of, you know, clothes and I don't have any proof of this, but to me, what makes sense is to wash your jujitsu and all that stuff separately in probably, you know, a big sink or a basin, um, and kind of isolated because if you put it in a washer and dryer and all that, it's just, um, you know, you're kind of mixing it in in a closed environment and and I don't know if you have the right heat and temperature and so on for uh, clothing. How about if I also check on that because I think there are some experts on that and that's a very, very quick question. But I think if your clothes are smelling, it's probably telling you something. Uh, I would take that and wash it separately. If it still smells, I'd get rid of it. You know, there are a lot of crevices there. Uh, or just leave it in the sun for a day or two or really, really dry it. You know, that's that's really the, you know, the big thing. Well, I have learned a, a whole lot, and I really appreciate you taking the time to answer our questions. I'm curious, if is there anything that I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about or anything else you think it's really important for grapplers to know about preventing skin infections? I think I think we've uh, you know we've we've covered a lot. If if it's okay, I'll tell you just a little bit about our our product, and I'd like to send you a sample. The hands are are something that you really need to pay attention to. So I would say use the clean product. Really focus on the hands and get a brush in your shower that will dry out after you use it. But wash under your nail beds. The nail beds are full of bacteria. And uh, so as part of your routine of hygiene, I would include that. And then, uh, you know, our product's a nice gel that's designed for this. And uh, a little bit of it goes really a long way. And I'd like to get advice from experts like you or your listeners of how we can serve the community uh, better and, uh, you know, be part of the you know, uh, the, uh, the grappling community to see if we can improve, uh, you know, the skincare. 
So that's our show for the week. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Azam Anwar. We're going to post links in the show notes to some of the various clinical studies that you heard about, about his clean wash product. And I'll let you know what I think after I get the chance to try some of it for myself. So if you're concerned with staying on the mat or being a great training partner and making sure you don't infect other people, I'm sure that you appreciated hearing that as much as I did. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw, and we'll see you again real soon.